Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Today's sermon was preached by V. O'Hagan at the annual camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in 1977. He titled the sermon, How to Talk to Yourself. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful message. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. The Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 9, and reading verse number 21. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Now in Moffat's translation, he says, What she said to herself was this. In other words, she had a little conversation with herself. Now they tell me that when a person gets a little age on them, they start talking to themselves. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I kind of think I'm heading in that direction. I think sometimes some of us it's not too old. We have some conversations with ourselves every once in a while. And of course, what you say to yourself it's very important whether you be younger or whether you be old. For we recognize that words have a definite influence. A right word spoken at the right time to another individual may go a long way to lift them. It may go a long way in discouraging them as well. And of course we recognize the influence of our words upon others and also upon ourselves. Now there's, uh, there's no limit to what a, a wrong word spoken can do to somebody else or even to yourself. Now if wrong words can do endless harm, then right words can do endless good. One of the writers, the wise man, said that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. To me, that's a beautiful thing to think about. Apples of gold in pictures of silver. There seem to be words that have power to grasp you and shake you. A right word or even the wrong word has power to move you. Now, when things have gone wrong in your life and maybe difficulties are all around you and circumstances look difficult, it may be that uh, you have a tendency to talk to yourselves. I'd like to give you some counsel on how to talk to yourselves. 
For when we walk in slippery places, we need a strong staff to lean on, and we find that a word fitly spoken many times is the secret. One of Job's comforters said to him, your words have kept men on their feet. I like that. Your words have kept men on their feet. Camp meeting will be over in the matter of a few days. You'll be back home. Difficulties that you face before coming may still be there. But what a wonderful thing it is to have somebody, or maybe if somebody else is facing the problem, your words can help keep others on their feet and keep them going when otherwise they might go down in discouragement. I would suppose nothing bigger could be said about you or me that our words had kept others on their feet. We ought to be exceeding careful what we say to each other. For our words have power to help or they have power to hurt. They have power to kill. They have power to make alive. That is our words. And it's next to impossible to overestimate what you say to others and even what you may say to yourself. Now, I would think what you say to yourself may be more important than what you say to each other. For if you tell me what you say to yourself, then I can tell you what kind of a person you are and on that ground pretty well indicate the kind of person you're likely to become. Let me illustrate a bit clearer at this point with the incident of the rich young ruler whom Jesus spoke about him. You remember here's a man that was a successful man, a successful farmer, perhaps an honorable man, no doubt a pillar in the church and maybe in the state, but how little his neighbors knew about him. We would have never known anything about him if we had not overheard a conversation that he was having with himself. And it's interesting what he said, and you may listen in as he talks to himself. Now, he's not talking to his pastor. He's not talking to his wife. He's talking to himself. And thus, we get an insight as to what kind of a man he is. Let's listen at him for a moment. And evidently, he's looking over his fertile farm. His harvest is going to be bounteous. I mean, it looks excellent. And uh, the sunshine and rain has come in the right proportions. And he's enjoying excellent health. And his workers have all been energetic. And with a big harvest before him, he has a conversation with himself. I would think he would talk like this. God's been good to me. And he sent the right proportion of rain and sunshine. And my workers have all been cooperative. And my harvest looks abundant. And I believe I will share my harvest with my workers. We'll, have a, we'll just have a great big time together. Is that the way he talked? No. You listen a little closer. It seems that here's a man that has no appreciation for either God or man. And all he thinks about is himself. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build me some bigger barns and there will I bestow all my fruit, my goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got 
plenty now. You don't have to worry. You eat and drink and be merry and have a big time. Everything is going to be wonderful for you. And when he had finished the conversation with himself, you can see that it's by such talk that he showed himself to be a fool, a moral imbecile, a pathetic man with no more appreciation for life's finer values than a pig would have for the sunshine. Now, here in the scripture lesson of the afternoon, we have a passage that relates that I'd like to talk to you about. We have a little woman, and she had a conversation with herself, and we listen in. Now, this woman might have said some very distressing things and have told the strictest truth about her case. Life had dealt harshly with her. There isn't any question about that. You can read the record of it. For in the springtime of her life, that uh, she had become a victim of a shame-faced disease. It was a disease that made her morally unclean. It was a disease that robbed her of almost every worthy prize and closed the door of the only vocation basically opened a woman in those days, that of wifehood and motherhood. And uh, when she, when this came to her, she determined, when this disease took hold of her, she determined that if there was a cure, she would find it. For she was a woman of independent means and had a strong will, a resolute will. And if there's any cure, she's going to find it. And for 12 long years, she went from one doctor to another seeking a cure, seeking a relief from this malady that had struck her. Twelve long years, quite a long time, and all the doctors had done had relieved her of her money. One after another she had gone to. And today, the day the text was given there, she was a little nearer the cemetery than ever before. And it seemed as if the cemetery would soon have her. And now she's in poverty. She spent all that she had. How easy it would have been for her to complain. She could have said, I'm suffering, and the suffering is no fault of mine. She could have had a conversation like that. She could have said, I wonder why God deals like this with me. And other people, they don't suffer like I do. They're not plagued with a disease like I am. God must be unjust to let me suffer like this and let others not. God must be very unjust. She could have talked to herself and told herself some pretty distressing things and have been pretty honest about the whole matter. And she could have said, life has cheated me. And it seemed as if that everything had gone wrong for her. And she could have questioned the, uh, the, the justice of God Almighty. And she could have said, I just don't understand God. It just must be that he has some pets. Some people, they just grow up and do well and, and everything seems to be normal and natural for them. But for this woman, it's different. If she had talked to herself like that, and said, I just wonder why God allows me to suffer like this and other people don't have to. 
She could have been better. If she had talked to herself like that, she'd have either ended up an invalid or perhaps jumped out of the window. But what did she say to herself? The record fairly well describes it at least. She said, I'm sick, and I know that I'm sick. But thank God I'm not dead yet. She knew she was sick. You, you can have good sense and still be, be logical and sensible and respectful toward God. She said, I'm not dead yet. And while it seems that all of my resources are now exhausted and I'm still sick and I'm still suffering, I have just heard that a new personality has come on the scene by the name of Jesus. And it just could be one day he'll come through this community. And if he ever comes, I'm going out to see him. And I believe on the basis if I do my part, he'll do his part. And I believe from what I've heard about him, I believe if I could just touch his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. And day after day, with her suffering and her sickness and her hardships and no money to operate on, she just dreamed that one day this Jesus would come through the community. At least she kept hope alive by looking for Jesus. And she said, I believe before long he'll make the trip through this way. And I just believe if I can, if I can just touch his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. At least I'll go out and try. If I win, I win. If I lose, I'll be no worse off. I'm going to die anyhow, so I'm just going to give it a try. If Jesus ever comes near, I'm going to see him. Now, the result of that conversation, by talking to herself like that, she kept hope alive and, and kept courage from dying. You know when we lose hope, we're through far. And when you think you're whipped, you are whipped. And when you think you're down and cannot get up, you'll probably spend the rest of your life whining and complaining about something. There's a lot of people whining and complaining in these days. Maybe they've been knocked down flat and they've convinced themselves in conversation that they cannot get up. And they say, there's no hope for me in the shape I'm in. This woman could have said that. She could have said, there's absolutely no hope for me and I'll just die. That's the only thing left for me. No, but she didn't. She said, I believe Jesus will come by this way one day. And I'm, I'm awaiting for that hour and I'm a believing and I just believe if I can get out there and touch this garment, I believe I'll be made whole. So by kept keeping up her courage and hope, she continued to struggle. And of course, this is the thing that kept her, at least her eyes open and anticipation and hope up and courage up. And uh, she was living in anticipation that one day Jesus would come by. You tell yourself that abundant spiritual life cannot be yours. I wouldn't be surprised but what some in this congregation You've looked around you and you've seen others that testified and others that praised God and others that kept the victory. And you had a little conversation with yourself and you said, well, I just don't understand it. I don't know why 
I just can't seem to get in victory. And I've tried and I've been to an altar and I've been to camp meetings and in spite of it all, I just can't seem to do it. And you had a little conversation with yourself and you're discouraged worse when you got through talking to yourself than you were when you began to talk to yourself. And it ended up you just quit trying altogether. Now, if you change your, your attitude and have a little different toned conversation with yourself, it might be things that be different. Why don't you tell yourself, I believe there's hope for me. I may not have been successful up till now, but I just believe that God will help me. I've seen him help others, and I believe he'll help me. And I'm going in for all God has. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to ask for an easy way. I'm just asking God to help me to do what I ought to do, and I'm going to trust him to give me the victory. Why don't you have a little talk to yourself? Take yourself in hand and give yourself some counsel in this matter. There are multitudes of people who make no effort to be Christians, not because they don't want to. They would like to be Christians. But the attainment of Christian living seems to be impossible to them in their circumstances. Their circumstances look difficult for them. And this woman, in her circumstances, she could have been dreadfully discouraged. Her circumstances were all unfavorable. But one day, one happy day, some good news came for her. Jesus is coming. He's in the community. And immediately she started out with the hopes, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. She had lived with this in mind. She had anticipated his coming. And now the announcement is he's there. And she starts out with high anticipations. And when she goes out to meet the Lord and touch him as she has dreamed that she could, she discovers there's a lot of people around Jesus. My, there's multitudes around him. But the poor little thing, the only thing she can do now is hope that maybe she can work her way through the multitudes of people and get close enough to touch the garment of Jesus. And she starts. Here's the big husky roughened men and women and people that are following along, listening to Jesus. And she begins to kindly work her way. Here's a little opening and she wouldn't take a big opening to get her through. She's, she's down very, very slender and she's, she's making her way through the best she can. And one man looks around and sees a poor little weakling, sickly woman and he, he didn't say anything but as good as said, well, lady said, you'll be in the cemetery before long. Not much need for you. What are you doing out here in this crowd? You ought to be in, in the bed. You're sick. You can tell by looking at you. And instead of, instead of saying, pardon me, lady, could I help you? Let me help you if I can. I'll clear. No, he didn't say that. Instead of doing that, he just kind of closed the gap. And she had to struggle the best she could. And finally she succeeded 
in making that particular grade. And then she was making a little progress in getting toward Jesus. And again, she's trying to work her way through and press her way very courteously and respectfully as she could trying to get to Jesus. And again, they look at her and people have serious thoughts. Well, that poor lady, she ought to be in bed. She's sick. She'll, she'll, she'll be in the cemetery before long. But she kept pressing her way and kept pressing her way and her strength is getting less and less. But she's been saying for some time now, if I can just, when he comes, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. If I can just touch his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. But finally, she's getting fairly close to where Jesus is, but her energy is almost exhausted. It seems as if she's come almost to the end of her anticipations. And still she's not right up to where she could touch the garment of Jesus. And she kept pressing on and pressing on when it seemed as if she couldn't press on. And finally she's getting almost close enough to touch his garment and one of my friends at that point says, he believes that finally she was feeling fainty. She wasn't able to keep her balance any longer. And she reached out to try, if she could, to touch his garment. And when she did, she lost her balance and she is almost dead. She's almost dead. And as she fell, her hand touched the garment of Jesus and when she did she was healed she had reached that point that she first thought she could if she could just touch his garment she would be healed and then it seemed as if she just could not in spite of all she could do she just couldn't make the grade but she kept pressing and pressing until she touched his garment and was healed now when I look at this poor lady and find out that now she has touched the garment of Jesus and been healed, I remembered she had kept saying to herself back there in the, in the days gone by, if I could just touch his clothes, I believe that I shall be healed. And she struggled on and made the contact and she was healed. You know, friends, the devil will put everything in your way he can. The devil hasn't gone on vacation simply because you came to camp meeting. He'll be back there when you get back. And maybe you've had a great time and the devil do his best to smother you down. And situations may look difficult, but let me ask you even now here at camp meeting, what are you saying to yourself? You wouldn't talk yourself into weakness, would you? Maybe young people, older people as well. Just a few alibis. And you begin to lose out in your spirit. Maybe you've gained ground here at camp meeting. Maybe even now you're kind of surveying the past. You've been untrue. Some of you may have been untrue to the convictions God gave you. Some of you have some memories 
of the years gone by maybe when you were more up to date and up to par and up spiritually than you have been recently and you remembered back there God gave you some convictions. And be perfectly honest with yourself and have a little talk to yourself. You recognize you have not been true to those convictions. What kind of a conversation would you have with yourself? Maybe you flung away your former ideals of Christian living. It may be that along the way some have scrapped their high moral standards. It may be that you've so arranged things you've become at home among company that once disgusted you. And it may be that you along the way have learned to take the color of the crowd that you're with. When you're with a worldly crowd, you're just a bit worldly with them. Oh, when you get with an old-fashioned crowd, you, you can kind of take on that color too, you know. After all, what, what kind of a conversation would you have with yourself today if you told yourself the honest truth about how you've been? Maybe you've told yourself the reason you've done the things that you've done. It's simply because if you do different, maybe it'll make you peculiar. Did the devil ever tell you that if you did like some people do, you'd just be an old peculiar person. Now, I'd be the first one to recognize that sometime the old-fashioned holiness crowd have some peculiarities. I recognize that. But I would like to tell you something about that. Please, my friends, don't, don't blame all the peculiarities of the old-fashioned second blessing holiness crowd, don't blame the peculiarities on them because they got the second blessing hold, took the second blessing holiness way. Some people, they would have been peculiar if they never had heard of second blessing holiness. And there's no amount of religion they can get that'll cure their peculiarities. They were born like that. And they'll be like that. And sometimes people blame their peculiarities on old time, second blessing holiness. Have a conversation with yourself a little while this afternoon and tell yourself the peculiarities that you see in a lot of us holiness people is not a result of second blessing holiness. If you see anything worthwhile in most of us, it's because of second blessing holiness. Not the peculiarities. Don't blame the peculiarities on the fact that we've taken this way. But the devil told you, if, if you really took the way through, then you're just going to be a peculiar person. Just kind of be an old grandma, folklore style, you know. And you've told yourself the reason you've done what you're doing is because everybody else is doing it too. You can have a conversation with yourself and tell yourself a lot of things. Some people have weakened themselves by baby talk. Maybe you have had some hefty blows. I wouldn't be surprised, but what some of you have. And if we tell ourselves that we're just pitiful creatures and we just kind of sympathize with ourselves and we say, well, now, I just never had a real chance like somebody else. 
if I'd only been born rich or if I had not been born under the circumstances I was, things could have been different. You see, if you have a conversation with yourself and tell yourself that kind of thing, you rob yourself really of trying to climb up and out from where you are. Maybe you have had some hefty blows. Maybe circumstances haven't been good for you. Maybe circumstances have really dealt a hardship on you, but tell yourself by the help and grace of God you'll be able to overcome those difficulties. There's a way through, and I'll find the way through by the help of God, and he will help you. He's helped a lot of us through a lot of things, and he'll help you. Oh, you say if you'd only had a big chance, you could have done something big. Well, I tell you, don't kill yourself with self-pity. Don't do that. While others fight their way on to victory, don't you stop. If you look at the saints, sometimes people think that saints are kind of hothouse type flowers. That isn't true. The only way sainthood is developed is that they refuse to quit. They may have received some hefty blows and difficult circumstances, but in spite of it all, they've stayed in the battle. They have been obedient to God. They have walked in the light. They have concurred with the book. And God has developed them. And they have developed themselves through the grace of God in this sainthood. The psalmist tells us about a man who was embarrassed because of God. Would you let me ask you something really serious? Are there times when you're a little bit embarrassed because you're the kind of person you are and the devil kind of flings it in your face and you're just a little bit embarrassed to be an old-fashioned pilgrim, an old-fashioned saint. And the devil just kind of kind of rubs it in on you a little bit. The psalmist tells us about a man like that. He was embarrassed because of God and he was led to see that either he'd have to get rid of God or else give up his selfish life that he was living so he decided that he would ditch God. How did he do it? Just like millions of people have done it and are doing it even yet. How did it happen? He simply had a conversation with himself and he told himself that God did not exist. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, that is, he told himself, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now having ditched God by having a conversation with himself like that and told himself frankly that God did not exist, then, Having gotten rid of God, he continued his conversation with himself. And as good as says, now, since there is no God, I am not really the child of the king. I am a product of blind forces. And thus, I'm a child of the mud. And since I'm a child of the mud, I can live like the hogs. I can go my filthy way. And a lot of people have told themselves there is no God. And today, they're living wrong. Really, how did it all begin? There was a day, there may have been a day that some of them sat on holding the spews like you sit down. 
There was a day when they had a hope of heaven in their heart, but they began to have a conversation with themselves. And they began to convince themselves little by little. And finally, they arrive at the place where they say there's no God. Now, if it's possible to talk ourselves into defeat, it's also possible to talk ourselves toward victory. What are you saying to yourself right now? I mean, in your own conversational way, what are you saying to yourself? You could talk yourself into a nervous disease if you desire to do so. After all, our nerves are good liars. The psychologist tells us that a nervous breakdown is something that's subconsciously desired. That is, we get into a hard situation where we tell ourselves the only way we can get out is by getting sick. And your nerves tell you you haven't slept awake when you've slept several hours. And your nerves may tell you you'll never sleep again. And you just, you just have a conversation with yourself and the first thing you know, you're about as cheerful as a death storm. I mean, I mean, it's looking rough for you, looking bad. You've had a little conversation with yourself. Why don't you take yourself in hand? And you are the person to accomplish victory. It bothers me to see men and women and boys and girls kind of moping around without victory when they could have the victory. I see a good many people, they mope around. They say, oh, I'm having such a hard time. Nobody understands but God. What an awful time I'm having. Nobody but me and God understands how I've suffered. And you just kind of pet yourself and have a conversation with yourself. Shut up talking to yourself like that. And if you're having problems, look them straight in the face and get down on your knees and say, oh God, in the name of Jesus, I'm expecting victory. I'm fixing to start minding God. I'll take the way. It doesn't matter what it costs me. You can depend on me. I'll lay down my life if necessary. But oh God, I'm going through. Come and help me. Begin to give yourself a little pep talk. Get a hold of yourself. Stop petting yourself. Stop sympathizing with yourself. Say under God, I mean to go through. Let the past be what it will. Let others laugh. Let them make fun if they will. I'm going the old time way. And you'll find yourself beginning to climb. God will begin to help you. God's in the business of helping people. He's been in this business a long time and he'll still help you. I'd say, cheer up. Things could be worse and they may get worse. I'm not going to tell you that things are not going to get worse. But if you can have a victorious attitude, it won't matter too much anyhow. If you'll get the victory in your heart and have a victorious attitude, talking to yourself aright will help you toward moral and spiritual victory. Do you remember that beautiful story that Jesus told about the lad who left home one day? That young lad was eager to be out his own, out on his own, away from parental restraint, independent of his father and out on his own. That was a beautiful thought to that land. And he got his goods and he went to a far country and he spent all he had and was, and was now in poverty. He sought a job, found it by feeding the hogs. The whole adventure had proven disappointing to him. 
So we see him in the hog pen and he's having a conversation with himself. He's now talking to himself. Maybe we could listen at him a little. Might help us to know what he said. Did he say, my father is a graceless old fossil? I don't understand my father. My father ought to have known better than to have given me the goods that would have fallen to me. He should have known that I would turn out in the hog pen. He ought never to, and I just don't understand why my father's judgment was no better than what it was. He ought to have refused to give me my share. The young man in the hog pen could have, could have said, I wonder after all why God made it possible for a man to sin. Just why did God make this plan like it? Why didn't he make it so that I couldn't go wrong if I wanted to? Just why did God do like he did? Why did he give us power of choice anyhow? Why didn't he just fix it so that when a man, when a person was born into the world by the very disposition of things, he'd have to go to heaven? No, he's not talking to himself like that. I think he recognized and we recognized that the capacity to, the capacity to climb also endows you with the capacity to go down. If you have the choice to climb, you also have the choice to go down. God has to make it with a choice for you. That young man in the hog pen could have said, I've really had a fine bunch of friends. They helped me spend my money and then they throw me down. Everybody's played me false. I just don't understand everybody why they do me like they do me. Is that what he said? No, you, you've read the record. And it just could have been that that boy said, I'd go back home if it weren't for my brother. But that brother's as cold and as hard as nails and I just don't want to go back and face my brother. I just don't understand my brother why he acts like he acts. Is that what he said? No. You've read the record. As he talked to himself in the hog pen that day, he came to himself and he had a conversation. He said, I left home openly and I'm going back home openly. And while my brother may not want me to come back, I believe there's one back home that will let me come back. For after all, he's my father. And I just believe he'll let me come back. That even the servants have bread enough in despair and I'm in hunger, I'm in bad shape, I'm in poverty. He's telling himself the strictest truth. And he said, I'm just going home and I'm going to tell my father just like I'm telling myself, I've sinned. I've done wrong. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Will you just make me a hard servant? Take me in. At least I'll have a place to stay and something to eat. That's just which I do not have out here. I'm just going back home and I'm going to tell him all the truth of the case. And he rose from the hog pen and stepped outside of the fence and he headed back home. Now he could have sat in the hog pen and talked himself like that till the judgment day if it had been possible, it wouldn't have helped him. The only thing that helped him is when he got up and said, I'm gone. I'm heading back. 
I don't know all about the outcome, but I'm heading in, and I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to tell them just what happened. I'm not going to shade it. I'm not going to color it. I'm just going to confess it like it is. And you remember when he got inside, his father was watching for him. And you remember the whole story. It's such a beautiful story. Oh, there was rejoicing. The father was so delighted that the son returned home. And I would certainly tell you this afternoon, if you failed, if things haven't been in your life like you wished they had been, why don't you tell God the whole truth about it? And why don't you tell yourself the whole truth about it? Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your children. Don't blame your church. No. There's a disposition to blame somebody else for your failures. Don't do it. Others can make it hard on you, but they can't make you fail. Why? I heard about two frogs. It's an imaginary situation, of course. But both of them had fallen into a churn of milk. Some of the younger ones wouldn't know what a churn of milk is, but the older ones know the two frogs had fallen into the churn of milk, clabbered milk, and one of them looked all around, as it were, and looked up and said, there's no use for me to try. The walls are too high, and he couldn't get his feet on anything solid. He made a few kicks, and there wasn't a thing to get his feet against. He said, there's no use for me to try, and he gave up. He quit struggling and drowned in the milk. The imaginary conversation of the other frog went like this. He looked all around. He saw the high walls like the other frog did. He saw it was difficult. He made a few kicks like the other frog did and couldn't get his feet against anything that would give him any thrust. But he said, the walls look high and the difficulties look bad and it looks as if I can't. I don't know what will happen, but I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep trying. And he kept kicking and kept kicking and kept kicking and finally turned him up a little aisle in the butter climbed up on the island of butter and looked around. He looked a little better. He's getting his feet against something that had some solidity about it and he gave a hard jump of hard thrust from the island of butter and over the wall he went. You say, it just looks like I'll never be able to make it. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Keep on, keeping on, keep on, keeping on. Tell yourself I will make it, I will make it. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let down. I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going back to the world. I'm going to keep right in the battle. I may not be able to succeed so fast, but I'm going to stay in the battle. And if you will, if you will, God will see you through. Have a talk to yourself and say, I'm a going regardless what others do. You look around, say, it looks difficult. That brother over there, he was true for years and he went down. That preacher over there, he used to be right, but something happened, there's a difference in his ministry now. And you look at the preacher and you say, well, so I, don't, well I'm, I just don't know about my case, but don't stop. Stay right in the battle. Say, by the help of God, by the grace of God, I'm going through. And if you tell yourself that, you can go through. You can go through. There's a way through for you. God will see to it that you'll make it if you'll purpose you will. I wonder today if you'll have that kind of conversation 
And when you get back home and the devil's fighting you and people maybe misunderstand you, the devil tries to shame you, you say, well, I'm not going to stop, Mr. Devil. I'm not going to stop. I saw an old saint under some real severe trials once. She broke down and began to weep. And she said, I won't give up. I won't give up. I won't give up. I'm not going to give up. And she didn't. And I believe she's in heaven today. She said, I'm going through. And she did go through and died in the victory. Tell yourself, you're not stopping. You're going through with God like this old book tells you. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the fire. I don't want to lose the fire.